So we've been in a series looking at what God uses to transform our lives. And I don't know if you picked up on this, but I'm just going to tell you right up front, they all start with W's. That's what preachers do. You know, that's what we do. We just, you know, because we're simple and we have to remember these things. So we all, we start these things with W. So first weekend, Shane talked about worship. That was amazing, wasn't it? Worship transforms our life. It was very important. He talked about repentance and all sorts of really, really good stuff. And then the weekend after that, I talked about waiting on God, how God uses the waiting room in our life to, to make major changes for us. And then Shane came back last weekend and talked about walking, and he you know, took his shoes off on stage. Could you believe that? And uh, no, it was great. It was amazing. And he talked about what different walks look like and, and uh, how we should put our boots on, and that was all good. And guess what the W is today? The W today is your wallet. Did I hear a groan out there? Did I, you know, I think I, I think I heard a groan. Oh, Pastor Dan's gonna talk about money. Yeah, I am, because you know what? Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell. Did you know that? Because of how important it is to the kingdom, not what we give, but what happens in our hearts as we learn to let money transform it and as we learn the principles of the kingdom of God. And so this is going to be challenging for you. I hope it is. I hope that, you know, I hope and pray that you get mad at me because then you're going to, it's going to force you into having to think through something and you're going to have to ask the question, Jesus, what do you want from me? And that's always a good thing, right? Amen? Oh, gosh. You know, your, your reputation is kind of waning here because I boast about 11 o'clock is the one that's awake and you know, and you know, nine o'clock is more awake than you this morning. So, okay, so let's just participate together and let's see what God, where God takes us. So we're gonna talk about the wallet and I want you to, I wanna start with this verse of scripture and I want you to see this from Jesus. This is Jesus, not Dan. And so this is what Jesus says, for where your treasure is, where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that you follow, you follow, your heart follows wherever your treasure is. So therefore, this becomes a very monumental subject matter. And I don't care if you're four years old, and I don't care if you're 85 years old. This is something that we all have to learn and grow in. And there's not one person in this auditorium that can't grow in this process. So here is my premise today. We don't have money problems. Oftentimes we think I've got some money problems. I don't have enough for my bills. I don't have enough for my wants. I don't have enough. I don't, I don't have that Mercedes yet. I don't have whatever it is. Whatever your dream is, you don't have enough for that yet. What I want to suggest to you is that you don't have a money problem. You have a heart problem. Let that soak in. That's what Jesus said. Dan didn't say it. Jesus said it. And money, money only exaggerates. It shows, it points it out to us. So how do I know this is true, and why is this such an important principle to God? Well, let me see if I can answer it this way. If I were to ask you, what is the central teaching of Jesus? What is the central teaching of Jesus? What would you, how would you answer that? What would you say? What would you say, what is the most important thing that Jesus taught when he came to this planet? Love. People say love. I'm going to suggest it's not. I'm gonna suggest it's something else. And I'm gonna show it to you in the Bible. You would think that the very first sermon that Jesus preaches would be the thing that he's focusing on, right? So I wanna show you 
the very first thing Jesus says publicly, and then I'm gonna show you how important it is to your life and my life, and love is an expression of it for sure, but it's not the root yet. So let me show you this from the Bible, Matthew chapter four, verse 17. So you're gonna, come, you're gonna walk away from here today going, I know what the central message of Jesus is. So you'll know this before we finish today. Matthew chapter four, verse 17, you with me so far? You're looking at, are we having fun yet? All right, is your, is your wallet hurting yet? I haven't, even, I haven't said anything yet, so I hope it's not. Matthew chapter four, verse 17 says, from that time Jesus began Notice the word began, because this is how he begins and this is how he ends. He began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came onto this planet to offer us a kingdom. That was his mission. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. His own rejected him. And they didn't like his message. They didn't like what he had to say. And the fact is, they crucified him, they put him to death, and he rose again. But the reality is, is that the kingdom of God is so important. The kingdom of God is such an amazing thing in the word of God. And if you've never understood it or you've never got it, it's time for you to understand that God offers you a kingdom. We're gonna talk about the, that today. And we're gonna talk about how money shows us where we're at in that kingdom. Here's what I need to know. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of man are always in direct opposition to each other. They're in conflict, they don't coexist. That's why they put Jesus on a cross. The kingdom of God does not coexist with the kingdom of men. It doesn't coexist with your kingdom, what you're building, what you're doing. It doesn't coexist with your 401k. It doesn't, it doesn't coexist with anything in this world. The kingdom of God is other than what you and I have ever experienced, and that's what Jesus came to offer you and I, is entrance into this kingdom. And it is a kingdom that never has an end. It is a kingdom that possesses eternal life. It is a kingdom that changes our character. It is a kingdom that allows us to love people the way we're supposed to love them. But the central teaching of Jesus was the kingdom of God. That's what he came to offer this planet. And this is what this planet rejected. And it's been rejecting that same thing for 2,000 years. And so here's what you need to know is that your kingdom and God's kingdom are probably polar opposite in how they, how, how they operate. And they're always, always, always in opposition to one another. They don't coexist. The kingdom of man and the kingdom of God do not coexist. Entrance into this kingdom, do you wanna know how you get into this kingdom? Entrance into this kingdom, that was a question you should have said, yes, I do. Wow, I can see the audience now here. I feel the hostility. So. Smile at me. Are we having fun yet? So listen to this. How do I then, how do I, what is the entrance into this kingdom? What does God require of me to enter the kingdom of God? Okay, all those are great answers, but let me say, tell you my answer. Entrance into the kingdom of God is unconditional surrender to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Unconditional surrender. I don't get to go in another way. There's one way, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And yes, it was through his shed blood, his death, and his resurrection. Yes, it was through all those things. But entrance into the kingdom of God in my life starts when I come to God and I give him unconditional surrender. That's why Jesus said, get this, <laughs> this is so good. That's why Jesus said, few be that find it. 
Narrow is the gate that leads unto eternal life, and few be that find it, because to enter into this kingdom requires you to kneel at the foot of Jesus and unconditionally surrender to his lordship and his kingdom. And that, my friends, is where the rubber hits the road, and that's why, that's why we see these kingdoms in opposition, and that's why the church of Jesus Christ in America and probably all over the world is filled with people that are church people but never will go to heaven according to Jesus. Because this kingdom requires you to kneel at the cross and have unconditional surrender in your life saying, I'm no longer in control. I'm no longer the boss. I am no longer, I am no longer that. I am surrendering my life. I'm, in fact, the Bible describes this new life as my life being dead and hid in Christ. I die and now Christ lives in me. That's the life that the New Testament represents as the Christian life. It's not adding Jesus to an already crowded life. It's not adding Jesus to whatever, I, whatever my agenda is. It is coming before God and saying, I abandon my agenda. Smile at me. I abandon my agenda for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of Jesus. Do you hear me loud and clear? I mean, this is so important for us to understand because it is essential as we move forward. Entrance in the kingdom of God is unconditional surrender, and unconditional surrender is most clearly seen. <laughs> You're going to hate me when I say this. <laughs> Shane will be back next weekend. I'm just going to say that right up front. You know, he'll probably get a standing ovation when he walks into the building and saying, oh, good, thank you, Shane, for being back. And uh, Shane, if you're watching right now, uh, they love you. I'm just saying that. Unconditional surrender is most clearly seen in how I handle my money. Unconditional surrender is most clearly seen is what I do with my riches, my money. It's the most clear, it's the most obvious way. Money isn't the issue, it's the barometer. Money shows me where I'm actually at with this unconditional surrender. It's not I'm giving my way into the kingdom. Don't misunderstand me. I'm suggesting just the opposite. What I'm suggesting to you is simply this. You gotta get this. You gotta understand it. God, let the lights come on here. Let the Holy Spirit speak right now. Come on, God. I, I need your help. But it's most clearly seen. It's the barometer. It's most clearly seen when I surrender to God. And how I see that is how I look at my house, my car, my life, whatever I possess. It's how I see that. That's where it's seen. That's how I know that I have unconditionally surrendered to God. Come on now. This is hard. I get it. And I would be remiss if I didn't teach you the truth. Would you, do you agree with that? And, you know, I challenge you. Look at the Bible. Look at the Bible yourself and, and show them that I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, show me how I'm wrong. But this is what, the, this is what Jesus taught, and this is what the New, Test New Testament speaks to, and it is a fabulous thing when you understand it. So let me show you from, this from the Bible, just in case you don't know, you think that I'm making all this up, okay? Is that a deal? Before I do that, let me just take a drink of my vodka for just a second here. And, <laughs> and you'll never know whether this is water or vodka, will you? All right, well. So Mark chapter 10, verse 17, here we go. Watch this. Now as he was going, that is Jesus, as he was going, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, 
good teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Wonderful question, right? Guy comes along and says, hey, I want to go to heaven. How do I get there? How do I get to heaven from Reno? Would be a, you know, a great question, right? How do I get to heaven from Reno? And Jesus said to him, this is Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus was under the law and he's teaching to someone who's coming to him under the law and this guy is saying, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he answered him, said to him, teacher, Jesus, all these things I've kept from my youth then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love this passage. Looking at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack. You want to get to heaven from Reno? This is, what, this is the thing you lack. One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and take up your cross and follow me. Unconditional surrender. Jesus was saying, one thing you lack. You want to come to me on your terms, I'm going to tell you what my terms are. My terms are unconditional surrender. Jesus knew that this was the very thing that he couldn't do. He wouldn't do. And so this man walked away sad and rejected. He felt saddened because he had great riches and he wasn't about ready to surrender them to God. Unconditional surrender. As marked in this man's life by his what? His treasure. His money. Do you see that? That's what's going on here. That's this, this, you know, everybody loves that, you know, they love Jesus until they really understand the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is teaching something very difficult here. He's saying, for you to go to heaven from Reno, you have to unconditionally surrender to me. And it's marked out by how you see what you possess. And by the way, this is a side note. This is just free. I'm just going to be to you for, you know, from Pastor Dan, my heart to your heart, is that the only thing that you'll ever keep in life is what you give away. That's God's economy. That's not man's economy. That's God's economy. You think what you keep is yours, but I'm telling you that the only thing that you'll ever get to keep in this life, the only thing that you'll ever take to heaven with you is what you have given away in this life. Everything else stays here. Everything else stays here. But what you give away awaits you in heaven. That's the truth. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So don't just stare at me like I'm being mean to you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And if you look at our society, they don't get this principle, right? In fact, you look at the marks of our society. Maybe you disagree with this, but I'm going to tell you what, I, as I look around on social media, these are the things that I've noticed about how life works in our culture. I think, I think people are basically, in our culture, I've traveled all over the world, and I see this all over the world, I think people are basically unhappy because they're so busy trying to hold on to what they can't possess that it makes them unhappy and neurotic and you look, at, you look at what's going on in our culture, the level of anxiety, the level of depression, the level of, of, of all sorts of mental illnesses is on, the sky, is on the rise. And I have to say, why is that true? It's maybe because we don't understand some principles from the word of God and as a culture we've abandoned that and as a culture we think that somehow, some way, that my possessions, what I possess, is gonna make me happy. And I'm just saying, as I look around social media and I look around the world, I see a lot of unhappy people. I also see a lot of people that are unfulfilled in their life. They're always striving, wanting a little bit more. They're unfulfilled and they're unsatisfied 
with the idea of where they're at, and they're always trying to find more. The great theologian Jim Carrey said this. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that that is not the answer. That's what Jim Carrey said. I think everybody should get rich and get, do everything they ever wanted to do so they realize at the end, at the end, there's something empty. It's like this. I, and I, I didn't say this at the first service, so you're getting something extra here. It's like when you're growing up and you open the last present, present at Christmas, right? It's the last one and you open up and then, and then after that's done, you're going, what's more? What, what's next? There's this emptiness. Anybody besides me ever experienced that? Oh, come on now. One person, my mother out there said, yeah, yeah, I did that. I'm just saying. So how do I let money transform my life? How do I transition from that to what God wants me to do? So I'm going to give you some principles that I think are essential for us to learn and to grow in. And there's not one person, no matter whether you're four years old or whether you're 85, doesn't need to hear and stretch themselves in these concepts because I think we settle, even those of you that have been saved for a long time, settle into a routine as opposed to living out this principle in my life. So are we ready? Here we go. First thing is I need to learn the principle of first. That's the first step along the journey. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So let's look at that verse. That's what I just quoted. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye what? First. In the context of this passage, what this is talking about is the context of money. Jesus is talking about money in Matthew chapter 6. Read it for yourself. And he's saying, what I want you to learn to do is seek first the kingdom. So I have, to, I have to learn the principle of first in my life. So what does that mean? What does the principle of first mean? It means that in my thinking, if with everything that I possess, my first thought is God. My first thought is, God, how do you want me to invest this in your kingdom? That's my first thought thought and typically how we operate in our culture is you know even inside the church we look at all of our bills and all of our things and all of the all of, all of our you know resources and we add them together and then what is left over we typically give to God that's not what this verse is teaching this verse is teaching you to learn how to trust God in the in, by putting him first so the question that I want to ask you this is such an important question does your spending drive your giving, or does your giving drive your spending? Ooh, he say that? Ooh, ouch. Because I want to suggest that for most of us, our spending drives our giving. We are giving God what is left over, not the principle of first, and we wonder why things go awry. Principle of first, such an important concept. God wants first. He wants the best. He doesn't want, he doesn't want the bottom. He didn't say seek ye first the bottom. You know, he doesn't. He says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, houses, lands, all those things will be added unto you, but you put God first. And I don't care whether you're four years old. I don't care whether you are 80 years old. I'm telling you the kingdom of first is something that should be true in my life that every time I have an income, I should look at how does God want me to invest this into his kingdom. Sell a house. I don't consume that on me. I make profit on it. I ask God, how do you want me to invest this profit? That's the kingdom of first. 
It's not how the typical person operates, but I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is always in direct opposition to the kingdom. The kingdom of man is direct opposition to the kingdom of God. That's the first principle. How are we doing so far? Principle of first, amen? <laughs> principle of first. And everyone can grow in that, right? Look at me in the eye and say, I get that, Dan. All right. Second principle is just as important as the first. Learn to set your heart on Jesus. Learn to set your heart on Jesus. Matthew 6, 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You have to make a choice. You can't serve both. You have to make a choice. So you have to set your heart on Jesus and his kingdom and live for him. I know that some of you are going to walk out of here today and you're going to say that was uncomfortable, Dan, but I'm moving on and I'm just turning off the switch here and I'm just going to ignore you. Listen to me carefully. A thousand years from now, you will regret that decision. Because what you give, what you give away, is what you send to heaven in front of you. A thousand years from now, you regret everything you didn't give away because you're taking nothing with you. You're taking nothing with you in this life. And the sooner that you learn that, the sooner, that, the sooner you will be in a place of enjoyment. One of the biz- biggest obstacles to this, this whole thing of seeking Jesus is the comparison game that you and I play all the time. The story goes that um, Bill Gates compared the computer industry with the auto industry and said if the car industry had kept up with the technology like the computer industry had, then we would be driving $25 cars and we'd be getting 1,000 miles to the gallon. General Motors, this is actually a true story. General Motors responded back to Bill Gates, and this is what they said. General Motors responded to Bill Gates and said, yes, but who would want a car that crashes twice a day? (laughs) The comparison game never wins. I'm just saying, the comparison game never wins. So the principle here is you look up. You don't look around. You look up. You don't care what anybody else is doing. You don't care who the Joneses are, whoever they are. And you don't try to keep up with them. That's a, that's a uh, you know, it's kind of a th- saying out of my generation. You don't care about them. You don't care about your next door neighbor. You don't care about the person sitting in front of you or back of you. You don't care how they're going to live. You make a decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will look to Jesus and stop comparing ourselves to everybody else in our culture. Amen? And I know. I know that's hard. I know that's hard. You look up and you look up. You don't look around. And thanks to social media, this has been, this comparison game has been taken to another level because not only do we compare ourselves to our friends and our neighbors, but now online, we measure up against everybody in the world. You know, all of a sudden it comes on your feed and I'm going, where did that come from? You know, oh, I don't have a house like that. I don't have a car like that. I don't have a smile on my face like that. And we live, you know, you know on the social media world, in the social media world, everybody's happy, Right? You know, they don't post their worst day in the world. They don't go, man, my life sucks, even though it does. Man, I'm having a hard time today. We just, we just tell everybody how perfectly obedient our children are and how wonderful they are and, you know, and how I'm learning to live the good life and all that kind of things. And so that destroys culture inside of us. So I want to show you a picture to show you how devastating this is, how manipulative this can be. So I want to show you a picture here. Look at this picture. This is the executive team. Aren't they cute? <laughs> hey, that's all four of us on there. You know what's interesting about that picture? 
is that that was the height of my illness, and I was not there. That is photoshopped in. See me right there? Just, I, was, I didn't exist then. In that day, they took, a, they took a picture of the other guys, and uh, they, you know, they looked happy and friendly, and, and then they took a, you know, they figured, well, how, we can't leave out Pastor Dan, right? And so they just photoshopped me into the picture. Now, I say that to you because that's the power of the internet. That's the power of, you know, you know, of creating an image that is, that image, I'm just going to speak it out loud, that image isn't true. <laughs> I was gone. I was sick. It's just not true. And that's how social media works. And so what you're comparing yourself true is a myth. When you look around and you see, when you look at, look at all these people that work out every day and you're, you know, I, I could go on for hours if I won't, but I'm just saying, it's all a myth. When you see their real life, you go, man, your life sucks as much as mine does. <laughs> it does. And so when you think about that, what we have to learn to do is we have to learn to set our affection on Jesus and not compare ourselves to anybody. You want a comparison? Compare yourself to him. That's, if you want to compare, that's the fair comparison, right? And then, how, how do I learn? How do I learn to set my heart on, on God? How do I learn to live in the kingdom? How do I learn to unconditionally surrender to Jesus as measured by my money? I learn to trust God. That's what I learned to do. Paul writes to people in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, and he says, teach those who are, who are rich not to trust in their money. So stop there for just a second. Everybody in this auditorium, everybody hearing me online, more than likely, unless you're hearing from a third world country, is rich beyond your understanding. You don't live on $30 a month, right? You don't live on less than a dollar a day. You have probably a lot more income than that, and you probably have nicer houses, and you don't, you know, you don't live in you know, a, sh a shelter that's put up. That's probably the truth about your life. And so when you think about that, everybody in this room is rich. So what does he say to us? What does the Bible say to you and I? Teach those who are, who are rich not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Don't you love that? Money comes and goes. It's unreliable. Their trust should be in me, in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Very powerful thing. The enemy of this verse is debt. How do I learn to trust in God? Well, how, why would I have to trust in God if I can just go in debt and buy anything I want to do, I want to buy? Just get out my Visa card, and if, even though I can't afford it, even though, even though I'm you know, trying to impress you by the things that I drive, by the cars that I drive, and by the clothes that I wear, I, all, I have to do, all I have to do is get out my Visa card. I don't have to trust God. I don't have to pray to Him. I don't have to ask Him for it. All I have to do is put it on my credit card. It's the enemy of learning how to trust God. It is. And there are, th there are two things that I have to resolve in my heart. Number one, I have to have the courage to swim upstream because if you're, you're, if you're catching what I'm, what I'm putting out here today, if you're catching that, you've got to swim upstream because your life is going to look different than everybody else. And, in, and this is going to be the truth. Even Christians will criticize how you live when you stop comparing and you start living out the kingdom of God and trusting in him and living out the, the, the principle of first. So you have to have the courage to swim upstream and you have to have the commitment to, I'm gonna cuss in church here today. I'm um, just sorry, take it, for, take it for what it is. You're gonna have to learn 
how to, here it comes, change. That's a cuss word, right? Me, change? I'm perfect. Why would I need to change? Everybody else needs to change around me, right? I've got to learn how to change my life. And then lastly, and you've been waiting for this because you're thinking, well, I can't wait for Shane to come back. Last thing I want you to see about this is you have to learn to set your heart on eternity. You have to learn to set your heart on eternity. And uh, I'm going to tell you a story that's not new with me. I, heard, I saw Francis Chan, one of my, one of my favorite teachers, uh, tell this story. And uh, he takes a rope on stage, about 60 feet long rope, and he, and he, um, he marks out one inch of this rope. And he said, this represents your life on this planet. This marks your life in this planet. And it does. I mean, I blinked. I was in high school yesterday and I blinked. And here I am. I blinked. One inch. He said, the rest of this rope re represents your life for wherever you're going to spend eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever. So I have to learn to set my heart on eternal things, not on temporal things. And that is the hardest of all the things that I'm teaching. Because we are temporal people. We love to live in the temporal. But I want to read to you something that Jesus wrote. And then I'm going to say a couple things to you. And then I'll let you go. Think about what I said. This is what Jesus said. Listen to it very carefully. He said, then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store up all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, this is the parable, God said to this rich fool, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, then whose will all these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and not rich towards God. You've got to learn to set your heart on eternity. You've got to learn to trust God. You've got to learn these principles. And I'm saying right from the very beginning, these are kingdom principles. These are things that are going to confront your world. And they should. This message should make you uncomfortable. You should walk out. I walked out, I, I was out in the foyer at the first service and uh, out there shaking hands, smiling at people and, and it was amazing how people walked, looked at the floor as they walked past me. I don't know what it was. Maybe they lost something, I'm just guessing, I don't know. This message should make you uncomfortable if you're hearing what I'm delivering because narrow is the gate that leads to an eternal life. If you can't trust God with your money, how are you ever going to trust God with anything else in your life that matters? You can't seek His eternity, internal things. How can you ever survive in this world? Let me think about this. If you can't trust God with your money, what are you going to do if you get cancer? If you can't trust God with your money? If you can't trust God with your money, what are you going to do what are you going to do if your son dies? What are you going to do if you can't trust God with your money? This is a big deal to God. 
bigger than you think. This marks our unconditional surrender to Him. And when I hold on to stuff, it suggests that I have not yet unconditionally gone to the foot of the cross and surrendered to Him. That's the issue. Unconditional surrender. And my money just marks it out of whether it's real or not real. Money just makes me live in a fantasy world. Not in the real world. And my hope and my prayer for you honestly is this. Somehow, some way, the lights will come on for you and that you'll recognize in your heart that what God has prepared for you is so much better than what you have now. And living for His kingdom is so much superior, so much more superior than living for your kingdom. Whose kingdom are you building? That's the question. Whose kingdom are you living for? God's or yours? Your kingdom will come to a crashing end. Boom, it's done. It's gone. God's kingdom goes on and on and on and on. And when I give myself to his kingdom in unconditional surrender, I will have this joyous life. And I'm going to tell you, my wife and I, as we began this journey, we got saved uh, February 13th, 1977. We got saved together. Got saved together. Very first sermon we heard after we were saved is what I'm teaching you today. Very first sermon. We were making six bucks an hour together. Combined salary. And we're living in low-cost housing. And we said, if God is big enough to save us, He's big enough to care for us. And so we began practicing everything that I've just suggested to you. And I've never been forsaken by God, ever. I've never lacked for anything that God has provided, that He's provided everything I've needed. I, I could tell you stories that would curl your hair. It actually would take gray hairs and turn them back to blonde of how God has stepped in and provided because we learned to seek first his kingdom and have this unconditional surrender in our lives. This is pretty important to Jesus. And uh, next weekend when Shane's back, I want you to give him a standing ovation saying, man, we're so glad. We're so glad you're back, Shane because you're not going to be mean to us like Pastor Dan was last weekend. God, I just commit this time to you, and I pray that your spirit will just teach us what it means to unconditionally surrender ourselves to you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.